This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Until five months ago, no former U.S. president had ever faced criminal charges. As of Monday evening, Donald Trump is facing 91 felony counts. Mr. Trump hit with 13 charges, accusing him of being part of a conspiracy to unlawfully overturn the Georgia 2020 presidential election results after his loss. On the surface, the Georgia charges may appear similar to the federal indictment filed by special counsel Jack Smith only two weeks ago. Both cases are focused on Trump's efforts to stay in power after losing the 2020 election. But the Georgia case may represent the biggest legal peril for Trump to date, and it could see him behind bars no matter who wins the presidential election next year. I am giving the defendants the opportunity to voluntarily surrender no later than noon on Friday, the 25th day of August 2023. So as we wait for Trump to reluctantly surrender to a court again, I talked to my colleague Sam Levine about why this case might just be one too many for the former president to swerve. I'm Joni Grieve, in for Jonathan Friedland, and this is Politics Weekly America. So the grand jury in Atlanta began hearing testimony from witnesses on Monday, and it was expected that that was going to be a two-day process with them potentially voting on Tuesday on whether or not to bring charges. But in the middle of the day on Monday, very abruptly, there was a document that appeared for just a few minutes online that appeared to show that Donald Trump had been charged with several crimes in Georgia. And Reuters got a hold of that document. They were obviously monitoring the court docket very closely and posted a story that said Trump had been charged. The document was quickly removed and it turned out that the clerk in Fulton County had just been testing the system to see how they would approach posting the document if there were charges, and they had inadvertently posted this document. I did a work sample in the system, and when I hit save, it went to the press queue. At the same time, the grand jury that was meeting, it was expected to take two days, but they quickened their process. They started hearing from witnesses much faster than expected. And instead of having those proceedings stretch into Tuesday, they were able to get enough testimony on Monday, hear from enough witnesses that they wound up voting and 
choosing to indict Donald Trump and 18 of his associates on Monday. Sam, we knew this indictment was coming. It's the fourth and what I'm assuming Trump's lawyers will be hoping the last indictment against him. Before we get into what these charges are, just briefly bring us up to speed on the three previous indictments filed against Trump. So starting back in the spring, Donald Trump was indicted in Manhattan by the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. The former president responding to the indictment in a statement saying in part, the Democrats have lied, cheated and stolen in their obsession with trying to get Trump. But now they've done the unthinkable, indicting a completely innocent person in an act of blatant election interference. That has to do with the payments he made to Stormy Daniels to cover up an alleged affair. He paid her off to prevent a story from breaking ahead of the 2016 election about an affair that they had. And the charges there deal with how he recorded those payments. He's been charged with falsification of business records. The second indictment, which came a couple months later, dealt with his handling of classified documents after he left the presidency. As it turns out, virtually everybody that has looked at this case, including rhinos and even hardcore Democrats, say there is no crime and that it should never have been brought. When Trump went to Mar-a-Lago after leaving the White House, he held on to several classified documents, had them in an unsecured facility. Once the National Archives and the Justice Department found out that he had them in his possession. They asked for them back. And it's alleged that Trump and several people working under him took steps to conceal the documents that they had in their possession and actively worked to not return those documents. So he was indicted by the Justice Department, the special counsel, Jack Smith. The third case also was filed by Jack Smith and the Justice Department. This is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. He was charged with four felony counts, and that really is a case that's specifically focused on Donald Trump and the actions that he took to appoint fake electors to stop the vice president from counting ballots on January 6th to try and remain in power after he lost the 2020 election. And the fourth case in Fulton County that was filed this week also deals with his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. But it's very different from the case that Jack Smith filed. This is a much more sprawling case. The Justice Department's case solely focuses on Trump and his actions. The Fulton County case focuses on Trump and 18 other co-conspirators and alleges essentially that Trump was at the head of a criminal conspiracy to try and remain in power and overturn the results of the 2020 election in Georgia, which he of course lost. So four very significant cases, four in my opinion, very different cases, and the president over the next year faces considerable legal trouble. And I want to get into some of the details of this indictment because, as you said, it really is a sprawling set of charges that outlines uh, what is, in Fonnie Willis's mind, a uh, broad conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 election in Georgia. What were some of the details included in the indictment that jumped out to you? 
Well, the main thing that stood out to me in the indictment is how granular it gets in trying to tell the story of Donald Trump's efforts to stay in power. The heart of the indictment is a racketeering charge, and that requires the district attorney to show that all of these different actors were engaged in all of these different separate acts linked by a common illegal goal of trying to overturn the 2020 election. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. She talks about Mark Meadows, the White House's chief of staff, asking for phone numbers for members of the Pennsylvania legislature as part of a conspiracy to overturn the election. The other thing that stood out to me was not only the kind of conduct that's described, but who is charged. Mr. Trump is not facing the music alone. The sweeping indictment names 18 alleged co-conspirators, including Trump lawyer and former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. His top lieutenants in this effort, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, Sidney Powell, John Eastman, all who have become familiar names also are are charged as part of this conspiracy. But the district attorney also goes further down the line and charges people who are lesser known. There is someone named Trevion Cutie, who is a publicist who was involved in a far-fetched scheme to try and get Fulton County election workers to confess to fraud. And this person winds up in the indictment. And so it just emphasizes how Fannie Willis, the district attorney, is taking this really wide and granular view of all the individual actions that were part of this effort to overturn the election. I don't know if you saw this, Sam, but in an almost surreal moment, a few hours before the indictment was unsealed, Rudy Giuliani live streamed himself on the platform formerly known as Twitter. And before he even knew for sure whether he was going to be indicted as a co-conspirator, he admitted he would feel sorry for himself if he was indicted. And then after the news broke that he was, in fact, facing charges, he had his lawyer deny the charges on his behalf. What do you make of this remarkable fall from grace for Giuliani, who is a man once best known as the New York mayor, and he became a household name after September 11th? How did he get to this point? Well, that's a great question, Joni. Before Giuliani was mayor of New York, he was a federal prosecutor in Manhattan. And when he was the U.S. attorney, he really pioneered the use of RICO, racketeering charges, to go after organized crime and the mafia. 1985 was the year that Rudolph Giuliani made a name for himself. It was the year that Giuliani pioneered the same prosecutorial tactics that now very much look like they could be his downfall. RICO charges are now what Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney, is using to prosecute Trump and Giuliani and all of the other defendants in the case. So it's this legal strategy, this novel use of RICO charges that is now coming back to haunt Giuliani and could be something that ultimately leads to him going to prison. And, you know, he's someone who has a relationship with Trump going back decades when they were both 
prominent figures in New York City. And I think this is a, a bond that really now has come back to haunt Giuliani. There are reports now that Trump doesn't want to pay Giuliani's legal bills. He's, you know, facing considerable charges. And, you know, if, if Giuliani were to turn on Trump and become a cooperating witness or anything like that, it would be very, very damaging to Trump, I think, because this is someone who is intimately involved in all of these actions. So returning to the indictment itself, the district attorney of Fulton County, Fonnie Willis, has said she wants to try everyone, all 19 defendants, together. With so many people charged, could that strategy mean a pretty lengthy trial here? Yes, it could. And I was a little surprised to hear her say that. Do I intend to try the 19 defendants in this indictment together? Yes. The idea of trying 19 people, everyone from Donald Trump, high-ranking White House officials, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, all at the same time, I think just makes it a really, really complicated case. And there are going to be procedural motions from all of the defendants to try and tie up this case moving forward. But Fonnie Willis has said that she's requesting a trial date for next spring. This is a blockbuster case. And she has signaled very clearly that she has no intention of slowing down these charges and wants to bring all of them together. Let's talk about Willis herself for a second, because she has become a celebrity in her own right since she chose to run with this case. She certainly has her critics, as our colleague Jewel Wicker explored in her profile of Willis earlier this week. But Willis, who is a Black woman, has come in for a torrent of abuse, a lot of it racist, since the charges were announced. But despite all of this, she seems more than willing to take Trump on, doesn't she? I think she's a pit bull prosecutor. She's someone who worked in the Fulton County District Attorney's Office for a number of years before she was elected the district attorney herself. She also has a lot of experience in high-profile cases. She prosecuted Atlanta teachers several years ago in a massive cheating scandal that was also a case that involved RICO charges. She's currently prosecuting the rapper Young Thug and his gang YSL on RICO charges. So this is not someone who shies away from controversial cases. This is not a game at all. What I am doing is very serious. It's very important work. And we're going to do our due diligence in making sure that we look at all aspects of the case. After the 2020 election, a lot of the places that Donald Trump attacked were are places that are predominantly Black, cities like Atlanta and Milwaukee. And it's very symbolic now to have Fannie Willis, a Black woman, as the person who is seeking to hold him accountable. And I don't expect her to be backing down or shying away from any of the challenges that, that I think will likely come as this case moves forward. So unsurprisingly, Sam, Trump has categorically denied these charges. 
In a statement after the indictment was issued, Trump's legal team said, quote, the events that have unfolded today have been shocking and absurd, starting with the leak of a presumed and premature indictment before the witnesses had testified or the grand jurors had deliberated and ending with the district attorney being unable to offer any explanation. It feels pretty ironic that Trump is sowing the seed of doubt or conspiracy given the charges he already faces in Georgia. But it's not really surprising because that is his go-to move. And now Trump is trying to have this case moved from state court to federal court. Can you explain why his legal team is trying to do that? This is part of Trump's legal strategy to delay these legal proceedings. And My understanding is that Trump and I think several other defendants in this case are going to argue that federal court is the proper venue for this case because the acts alleged in it occurred as part of his official duties as a federal officer when he was the president of the United States. I think what you'll hear Fannie Willis argue in response to that is that this was about a campaign. This was had nothing to do with official duties as president, and that state court is it continues to be the proper venue. But the move to get it into federal court is, I think, is a gamble by Trump and his legal teams that the judges might be more friendly to him in the federal system than they are in the Georgia state system. So, Sam, whatever court this case ends up in, what is likely to be Trump's defense against these charges? I think we're likely to hear a couple of defenses from Trump. First, I think, is a First Amendment defense. So at the at the end, our defense is going to be focusing on the fact that what we have now is an administration that has criminalized the free speech and advocacy of a prior administration during the time that there is a political election going on. That he was a candidate for president, that he genuinely believed that the election was stolen, and that he was expressing that belief and was doing everything that he could to articulate that and wanted to be sure that the election result was correct. The question that's going to be at the heart of a lot of these cases is finding the balance between free speech and lying about the election. What we learned from the January 6th hearings was that even though Trump continued to claim that he believed the election was being stolen, he was actually being told by people very close to him, his closest advisors, that he had lost the election and they were presenting him with good reason to show that. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. They were presenting him with evidence that he lost the election. And so Trump can continue to claim all that he wants, that that he had a good faith belief that the election was stolen, that he was merely expressing that belief. But I think the prosecutors are going to point to all the ways in which Trump's team, his advisors, showed him that he had lost the election. As has been the case for the previous three indictments, 
Many Republicans have defended Trump in the wake of these charges, and they have instead chosen to attack Biden and the Democrats. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy called the charges a desperate sham, saying the radical DA in Georgia is following Biden's lead. Sam, it might seem shocking to see Republican leaders defending a man who is now facing almost 100 criminal charges. But that same man is also the clear frontrunner for the party's presidential nomination. Some national polls show Trump leading his next closest primary opponent by about 40 points. So do you think Trump's enduring popularity with the party's base explains why so many Republican lawmakers have stuck by him even after multiple indictments? Polls have shown that the public's perception of Trump has really not been changed by all of these indictments, which is quite striking to see. We've seen candidates end their campaigns, even if it emerges that they're under an investigation. So the fact that Trump now has dozens and dozens of criminal charges against him, and yet not only is continuing his campaign full steam ahead, remains the front runner is just stunning. It's something that we've never seen before. And I think you're right, Joni, that a lot of other Republican politicians are reading the room. They're taking their cues from that. They don't see it as a winning position to come out and criticize Trump. This latest case has some overlap with the federal case against Trump, which was announced at the beginning of August. But there are some pretty important differences between the two cases as well, namely that Trump may not be able to get a presidential pardon if he is convicted in Georgia. Can you explain that to us? In the federal case, if Trump was convicted, Trump could make it go away pretty easily. He could just pardon himself. The president has unfettered pardon power. It's never been tested whether or not a president can pardon himself. But Trump would almost certainly do that. In Georgia, Trump couldn't make the charges go away. He couldn't pardon himself because it's a state case. And in Georgia, the governor doesn't even have the power to unilaterally pardon someone. There's a board of pardon and paroles that's in charge of of pardoning. There's also a law in Georgia that says a certain amount of a sentence has to be served before the board will even consider a pardon. So Trump would be unable to avoid any potential prison time or or serving his sentence before a pardon could occur. So the Georgia case is really insulated from Trump in a way that the federal case is not. How long could he go to jail for? The exact number could vary based on what he's convicted of and what the judge finds he's culpable of and, and his prior record. But The fact that he has several charges stacked against him, many of which carry a minimum sentence, mean that Donald Trump could potentially go to jail for several, several years if he's convicted. Sometimes we've seen it reported that, you know, he could face a maximum sentence of 70 years or something like that. I think that's a little misleading because Donald Trump doesn't have a prior record. You know, I don't think a judge would would find it appropriate to issue, you know, a maximum sentence here. But the legal peril that he's facing, and even at a minimum, the prison sentences that he's facing is quite considerable here. But before any trial happens, he'll first have to surrender at the county courthouse. He has until August 25th to voluntarily appear. 
And unlike his previous three arrests, we're expecting he will have his mugshot taken this time. When the case goes to trial, Georgia state law dictates that TV cameras will be allowed inside the courtroom. Obviously, it never looks good to be charged with a crime. But Sam, do you think this one will just look worse for Trump? We've talked about how his popularity, so far at least, hasn't really taken a hit because of these four indictments. But what might the public think of watching a criminal trial against a former president play out in real time on their television screens? I'm not sure that it will hurt Trump. One of the just staggering things Trump has done with these indictments is he's really tried to spin them to his advantage. We've heard him say things like, You know, they're not indicting me, they're indicting you. I just happen to be standing in their way. That's all it is. Really making himself to be the victim of a witch hunt. And one of the things that's key to Trump's political appeal is his ability to drill down on the politics of grievance, this feeling that Americans have of being wronged in some way. And Trump has really used these indictments to galvanize his supporters around that. And Trump getting a mugshot, Trump having a perp walk, Trump going before television cameras, I think would all allow Trump to feed in to that narrative and shape the narrative in a way that could be to his benefit. So now that we have the four indictments, when are we likely to hit the courtroom for the first trial? And how is Trump expected to fight four criminal cases and simultaneously run for president? Can he even still run for president if he's convicted before Election Day? If he's convicted before Election Day, he technically still can run for president. There's no automatic disqualification. But there's a complication. The 14th Amendment to the Constitution says that anyone who has committed insurrection or rebellion against the United States, I think the exact language is anyone who's engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States shall not be eligible to serve in the federal government. And I think what we're likely to see in the very near future is various groups bringing challenges in key swing states under that provision. These are going to be civil lawsuits. They're going to be actions before boards of elections and secretaries of state to try and get Trump kicked off the ballot using that provision. And it's really untested. There's never been an effort to try and remove a president from the ballot. And then with regard to the the timing of the trials, that's one of the other big questions of the next year. All of these prosecutors are trying to get these cases in before the 2024 election. And in between all of that, Trump is still going to be running a presidential campaign. You know, will he be in the courtroom every day as his lawyers are defending him? Will he only be there for key moments? Will he have to testify? Those are all questions that that I think are going to need to be resolved over the coming months. Sam Levine, thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thanks for having me, Joni. Anytime. And that's all from me this week. For anyone who wants to know more about last week's deadly wildfires on the Hawaiian island of Maui, which has killed more than 100 people, 
Listen back to Thursday's episode of our sister podcast, Today in Focus. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens, and the executive producer this week is Max Sanderson. I'm Joni Grieve. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.